Mary, I'm wondering if you could kind of set a mood for me, like maybe turn some lights down, maybe get some snaps going. Can I get some snaps? So we were thinking, like, how do we wrap up this beautiful journey that we've had with Kirsten? And you know who my favorite character of the series is. Miss Winston? Yeah, of course. So she doesn't get a first name, but I thought, what if we got a poetic ode to Kirsten and her favorite teacher instead? I think Kirsten would would maybe love that. Maybe okay. not. She doesn't seem to like school. Can I share with you something that I'm calling abduction 1855? <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous that I'm going to have nightmares tonight, but please feel free. Okay. Ode to a raccoon. Stolen in the winter snow. Was the fire your fault? Your family saw yellow hair, the need to hunt. They knew it was goodbye. But you emerged clean, born again from the dark ash, gray paws, stolen land. They took you away, saw only your black and white. You were the danger. Oh my God. <laughs> Jessica, if you feel traumatized by <laughs> That was amazing. Was it? I mean, that was, <laughs> I have like, I'm clutching my phone off camera, Jessica, and I literally have nine one. In. If this goes one step further, I'm hitting that further one and oh, I'm boy. taking us all out right yeah. now. Wow. You know, they say poetry can teach you about yourself, can teach you about where you fit into the world. And, you know, I feel like it did that. I think poetry you know? can heal. Can <laughs> Can or who are you trying to heal with that? <laughs> um, basically, while I'm driving, my brain starts to clear, and I do like audio messages to myself. And I composed a series of short stories about Kirsten being a pyromaniac that I decided did not work, but I loved like this poetry feel that I was going for. Uh-huh. So I composed first drafts in the car, and then when I got home, right. I used a syllable counter to make sure my haikus were okay. Wow. That's a big commitment. Thank you. you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Thank you for doing that. Thank you.
know, I felt so inspired and I felt like I need to become a text because we had this really special opportunity this week to talk to someone yep. whose work we've been admiring for a long time. Yep. And someone who, as soon as their project launched, our DMs got flooded. Yep. Like, we hear you. We get it. We're doing Josefina. We know about the Kirsten Project. Yes. We'd love to introduce our guests. I mean, you're a huge get. I can't believe you're here. I'm glad, you know, we've been circling each other on Instagram. I'm glad we could connect via Google Hangout. Jessica Quirk, hello. Thank you for Hi. being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you both. You know what? I mean, we're so thrilled that you're here. I mean, I'm just realizing in this moment that as like a clothing expert, perhaps I should have put like slightly more thought into my outfit today, but literally did not think about this at all. Like yeah. I should have worn a Dolly Parton t-shirt for you. I should have, <laughs> I don't know what I should have done, but you know, I, I should have thought about it. Can I tell you what I'm wearing? Please yes. do. Yes. Well, uh, the only part that I will tell you about is my um, Pleasant Company sweater that I wore in my changes for Kirsten outfit. Yes. But under it, I have like a stained t-shirt on because it's been a long day with two kids. So don't worry you know about what, what you're wearing. Anyways, I, feel I also like have a stained t-shirt on, but I have no children, so I don't really know what to do with that. But it's dark. Don't Allison's worry wearing it. a fleece jacket and mm -hmm. a scarf, and I feel like that's kind of your uniform. I feel like we all brought a different piece of ourselves to this introduction. Like I asked if I could read my raccoon abduction poetry, and we you, made a place for you. You shared some icebreakers, and Jessica was very kind to us. I just we all bring different things. We did. Yep, we all do. Oh, and speaking of, this is kind of a joke, but I brought. My <gasps> it's not a joke. <laughs> it's not oh a joke. Oh my gosh, listeners! Jessica's holding up her Kirsten doll. They're wearing matching outfits. They're wearing. Is that the sweater from um, Changes? Changes. Oh my gosh! Um, and the hat. I, I finally got this on eBay. I, I've been trying to bid on it for a while. Um, but, you know, the one thing I've learned about the whole AG world is that um, it can be competitive and people will get you at the last second on yes. eBay. Yep. And I didn't want to, you know, you guys have talked before about like the high dollar amount some of these things go for. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So I lost so many times. But then finally, I, I snagged this little. How did you do it? What was your technique? Um, I just, I don't know. I think I just stayed on top of it. And I was like dead to the world when the countdown was happening. And I was like, no one's going to beat me. Wow. Um, so, um, and I like have changed her in and out of this so many times. And my kids love, they say, can we play with Kirsten? Uh. Um, so anyways, uh, and then she's in my bedroom. I'm like, <laughs> is this weird? Maybe I should. You know, it's like, closet. how did we all get here? You know, I mean, as I, know. I thought that as we had a Molly doll on the train to New York City a couple months ago, and you know, Allison had a dark moment in our friendship where she wanted to have Molly have her own seat, and I begged her to put Molly in a tote bag. So we're all on a different path. I have a spare bedroom now that has my five dolls, and they're all sitting on top of a bureau and then another bureau has all of the books and all of their accessories. And I've built up kind of a treasure trove after starting to recollect. But getting Kirsten for 40 something dollars on Mercari was a high point for me. And I do feel like I have now driven up the prices because we hear from listeners that you're not getting that get with Kirsten You're anymore. Not. It's hard. No, now she's so, well, she's always been so special. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, I know, and I think it also depends like 
I think now that um, the Christmas season is over, those dresses probably won't be as high in demand and they'll go down in price. And like, I feel like because this is a wintry look, uh, collectors want to get their dolls out in the snow. Yes. yes. Um, so I think then the summer dresses will start to be like the harder ones to grab. And, you know, honestly, I bet a lot of this um, price war competitive nature has probably come from you guys. And like, uh -oh. there's so many 30 somethings who had these dolls as a little kid and have lost pieces or whatever. Um, or, you know, like never got to get the dolls because they were really expensive and the clothes were too. So now that we're grown ups and we have disposable income, we're, we're adding to our little collections. I, so. like, I like how you call us out as like the potential Sally Mays <laughs> of this financial AG crisis where it's like we caused it. We're also like being harmed by it. I have tried to buy some Brita for you, Allison, multiple times on eBay. I've been outbid every single time. You know, I don't know. I don't know just, it's the this. right time, right place with that I know. eBay life. I guess it's just not meant to come in. Sombrita's like not meant to come into my life quite yet, but hopefully someday. Now, as part of your collection, because you do a really great job, and we'll talk about this in detail with the Kirsten Project, but you base outfits for yourself off of things that Kirsten has in the books and in the Real Material Culture collection. How much stuff of Kirsten's did you have going into this. So like 2018, it's not the Kirsten project yet. How much Kirsten things are in your household? You, Jessica? Um, not a lot. I had the, the six books, the doll, um, her meat get up and then her, uh, a couple of dresses and you know, they weren't probably even at my house in 2018. My mom brought them to me just recently and opening up that box and seeing that little treasure in there. Um, also getting back into like this hobby of making costumes, kind of those two things colliding, um, jump started this collecting again, because since I've gotten back into it, I've ordered this little outfit and then I've started to, I've started to order more. Like I only had one boot for her. So I ordered, mm. you know, I got a matching yeah. set of boots, little things that I was missing. I've started to add to, um, but I would say it was kind of like a bare bones type mm. thing. And, you know, my Kirsten story, which I'll do real quick, is like I read the books, I think, from the school library and then somehow got the catalog. And I really wanted the doll, but my parents were like, uh-uh, 82 bucks, too much. But if you can save uh, for half, we'll, we'll match you. Um, and I brought my mom the dollars that I had saved up for my $2 a week allowance and the change and babysitting, lawn mowing money, whatever. And I put it on her bed and she made me count it out. And then she got on the phone and she hung it up. And from under the bed, she pulled out that burgundy box. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is like probably one of my favorite. I'm like getting a little teary eyed thinking of it because it's one of my favorite childhood memories. But she had already ordered it. And um, it was like October 12th. I remember the day. Oh. Um, and I was just like, I was so thrilled because it's a, uh, I really, really love her stories and I like the sort of like self-reliance and I love, I'm, I live in Indiana, so we're a pioneer, uh, kind of an early pioneer state. Um, and I'm really into genealogy and I'm all these things kind of like have woven themselves together to, um, enrich this project. And it's, it's really fun as an adult to go back and look at something that you love so much as a kid with, um, 
with a new lens, mm. like much like you guys are doing. Um, Cause the 10 year old you and the 30 something you see it in different ways. But I mean, the nostalgia of it for me, like even just looking at that doll now, it just gives me like the warm fuzzies. Mm. It, it was a really like important part of my growing up. So anyway, so I, I want to go back to your growing up and kind of get at um, you've kind of shared with us your origin story with Kirsten, but getting at your early love potentially of like clothing or material culture and also American Girl itself. So was Kirsten the first American Girl doll that you, whose books you read or that you were aware of? Yeah, she was my only doll. Um, and when they, when, she, when I got into her, it was like the real old school, like just Kirsten, Samantha and Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to call everything old fashioned. So like I would just loved antique malls, old fashioned places. Um, like my aunt and uncle live in like an 1880s um, brick farmhouse. And I just loved being there because it just felt like old timey. And I watched Little House. Like um, I read all those books too. Um, so that, that definitely started me on a path um, into the world of costume and dress Um, And then like fast forward into my college years, I studied costuming and then I worked in the fashion industry and I wrote a fashion blog and then I got totally away from that. And then I sort of fell into this new world, this new hobby of um, historical costuming. Um, And then I clicked that together with this old, these old memories of Kirsten, it all sort of made sense. And, and I think it's, it's just such a passion project. And I, I like, I laugh cause it sounds so cliche, but um, all the pieces came together in such a great way that it's been so fulfilling to work on it. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, how did you get into costuming? Uh, well, the first time around, I, I should say like when I was a little girl, I wore costumes, uh, Kirsten costumes that were like the like fabric store version that my mom like, you know, put together. My mom always sewed my clothes for me as a kid and she taught me how to sew. Um, but they were never like, I never had the pleasant company stuff. Um, but I wore costumes and I would like dress up and like people, you guys talked about like secretly being Amish. (laughs) (laughs) A dream, a dream of ours. Well, like where I grew up in Northern Indiana, like even still there's like buggy, um, spots in the parking lot of the grocery store. The, The Amish community is pretty big in Northern Indiana. And I just love that sort of old fashioned, like, let's churn our butter, sew our quilts, let's do it the old school way. I've always just really liked that. So that was like round one in costuming. And I've always loved Halloween. Um, And then uh, like a year and a half ago, I went to the Jane Austen Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. And it is the most magnificent display of beauty. (laughs) It's like everyone is in Regency attire. Um, and it kind of varies from like the people who hand stitch their garments to like the more sort of like casual, like cosplay type thing. Um, but by and large, it's all people who really care about that specific era. And I thought this is totally amazing. I didn't dress up. I just went as an observer. Um, but then I decided I was like, I'm in. Um, so since then I've just started, I pick a decade. I work from the very inside all the way out. And I've been through the 1780s, the 1810s, and now I'm with Kirsten, 1850s. So when you start, did you do 1780s first? 
Mm -hmm. I did just because I knew there was an event near me. Um, so I had a deadline and I had a goal and I wasn't just making it to like hang out in my backyard <laughs> in like a bunch of quilted petticoats. Look, I mean, that all sounds do what good. what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have creepily walked around my yard in costumes before, <laughs> but um, only when I'm test driving them before an event. <laughs> um but yeah, I started with the 1780s and I'm not necessarily working in order, although I really want to do some sort of suffragette thing this year too. So we'll Excellent. see. What happens the first time that you put on a finished costume? And, you know, something that I love about your work is you're so detailed about all the pieces that you put together. And I'm just wondering if you could talk us through like the first time that you get the pleasure of being able to put on a completed ensemble. And what is that like for you? Um, well, it's really fun. Uh, I usually do stages of trying on different things here and there and like recording myself on my phone just to see like, does this move right? Is this hem right? Um, and I'll try out different accessories, maybe with other costumes. With the Kirsten Project, I knew exactly how I was going to wear it. But um, it's a, like it's a little nerve wracking <laughs> um, because there's a part of me that's like, am I going to feel great? Am I going to be embarrassed? <laughs> like, what are these onlookers going to think? Um, but I really love wearing costumes. Like I've always, like I said, I've always loved Halloween. And my husband said, like, do you feel like you're another person? And I told him like, no, I actually feel like my most true self when I'm all dressed mm -hmm. up. That's so that's usually how I feel whenever I put on a different costume. And I actually, um, and I want to talk to you guys about this in a second, but I went and saw little women with some of my costuming friends and I wore my, um, not my entire changes for Kirsten look, but a lot of it because I just was like, we call it history bounding. So people will wear like historical and modern together and then go out. And sometimes people say like, are you Mary Poppins? <laughs> um, but it's kind of, it's like a fun little hashtag. So hmm, history bounding. That sounds really neat. That sounds really cool. You should try it. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I'm thinking I um, sometimes dress up as a mill operative or a mill girl. And oh. <laughs> I was walking with a colleague. I had my full cape on and I was walking down a city street and I was with my colleague who's like much taller than I am. And we were talking about getting sushi and someone stopped us and said, I don't really know what to say about this, but I probably shouldn't say it out loud. And I said, oh, no, please <laughs> go ahead. Because I thought like, you know, whatever you have to say, like, it is obviously this, you know, disorienting experience to see someone who looks historical walking down a modern street, but it presumed that I was embarrassed, which I was not, right. or that my colleague was embarrassed and he was not. And I love few things more than like the swoosh of the skirt as I'm walking down a street and working for the government, we have one kind of skirt that we are allowed to wear. And I call it my power skirt because it is so intensely ugly. It gives me this sense of power to wear it because it truly is a utilitarian tent that we're pretending is a woman's piece of apparel. And when I wear it, I feel really powerful because there's only like four inches of my very short legs exposed. And I just feel this posture of like, yes, I really am wearing this. Yes, I really could be selling war bonds on a city street in 1942. But it's not about that. It's like how you feel in the piece. Hmm. 
Mary is looking at us. Mary Mary is not Listen, fond of. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, Jessica, this is where I'm at. This is like my one time when someone literally asked me to put on a historical costume. So I should note, my dad is a Civil War reenactor, or he was when I was growing up. And my brother was, you might say, drafted into being <laughs> the drummer boy for their unit. So they used to go off wearing like historically accurate outfits, not the right word, but uniforms. And they'd go to Shiloh. They were at Gettysburg, et cetera. And, you know, like they took it extremely seriously. And there was something about it where I'm really touched by what you said about you feel most yourself when you're wearing your costumes. Because um, when I think about moments when I feel most myself, it's when I'm creating something. That's when I feel most myself. And I think it's kind of a shared thing, but it manifests differently. Um, I've always felt self-conscious in costumes and I I can't really seem to get away from that. But when I was like, I want to say eight or nine years old, my friend's grandmother decided to throw her an American girl birthday party. And she called me and said, "Um, you know, we're going to have this tea party. You can bring your favorite American girl doll. So of course I brought Molly and we'd love for you to wear a dress, you know, from the period of your dolls, you know, time. And I, without even thinking and having to think about it, I said to this very nice grandmother, (laughs) um, well, obviously I need to wear jeans because there's a war on in Molly's (laughs) world. (laughs) Where the reality is I also feel most myself in jeans. And Allison's had to say to me multiple times, long before I was even with my partner engaged, you may not wear jeans at your wedding, like just as a general rule. So I'm like taking that in. But um, I don't know. I, I really have respect for you both in the way that you can embody a costume and feel so at home in it because I just don't think it's it's not something I have judgment about. It's just not a shared experience mm-hmm. I have. Like I actually don't feel myself in costumes. I feel very self-conscious. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I wish I had your experience. I just haven't. It's fun too when you're doing it with a group of people. Usually I feel the most jitters when I'm like um, crossing the time traveling border between like parking my car and getting to the historical site. (laughs) And um, because once you're on site at some place and everyone is like that, um, people come up to you and they ask you questions and give you compliments and any of those jitters from like, you know, going to the gas station along the highway, like those awkward places where you might be wearing costumes. Um, I'm always a little bit more nervous in those places than I am when I get to the event, I feel fine. And then after the event, I'm like, yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm usually if I'm nervous at all, it's because I want the other people who are in costume, um, to accept me. I mean, the thing is, you know, even if you put a lot of work and study into it, um, you want, you want some acknowledgement that you've like, you're on the right path. Um, and with this project, there's a lot of things where I wonder, do I do it the pleasant company way or do I do it the historical way? And as I go towards some of the, um, final costumes, I ask myself that a lot. It's actually what I think about every night Mm. before I fall asleep. Interesting. Um, I'm wondering, getting into your process, which you kind of just introduced, whether starting with the 1780s project or the Kirsten project, where do you begin when you start a project like this? What is your first thought or your first act? How do you structure a project like this? Because it seems so big in in some ways. It is. You know, how do you understand a whole decade of time? Uh, Well, I think the first thing I would do is just kind of think back to my costume history classes. And that gives you like a very sort of rough idea of like the silhouette per time period. So Mm -hmm. I have some sort of context 
Um, am I going for like a column Regency sort of look or a very wide uh, mid 18th century look or whatever? And then I usually start with a visual search and I usually use Pinterest or sometimes um, Instagram with hashtags and I'll start looking at decades. Um, usually I have a color or something in mind that I want to try to achieve. Like with my first 1780s dress, I wanted to do a chintz print because they were super popular during that era. Uh, but I wanted to do mine red because everyone had white chintz dresses. So I was like, okay, I got to like start the search for the red chintz dress and find as many images as I can. And then I also try and balance like, um, you know, I have a background in fashion design. So I think just because there's not an existing piece like this, could some woman have worn something like this? Because, you know, a lot of the clothes that make it um, into museum collections or to collectors now, a lot of those weren't like the dresses that were worn day in, day out. Those dresses were upcycled and shredded into rags and they're gone. Um, so, you know, the dresses that are existing, I don't know, I try and take cues on the silhouette from those sort of just like let it simmer all together. Um, that's how I would do it for like a Jane Austen uh, festival dress or like the 1780s dress. But for the Kirsten project, it's much different because, um, you know, the the fans, the American girl fans want to see something that looks just like the doll or just mm -hmm. like the illustration. Mm -hmm. um, but as I look at it from a historical standpoint, I think, well, this color really wasn't that popular then, or like this sleeve length wasn't popular or whatever it might be. Um, so that's going to be my challenge with the remaining um, costumes to try and figure out how I can blend those two things together in a way that, you know, I'm not going to make a drop shoulder, long sleeve, high neck. I'm not going to make like five copies of that dress in different colors. Um, because, you know, with these early dolls, these early girls, like, they probably would not have had six new dresses in a year. They've, they'd have maybe one, maybe. It'd probably be a hand-me-down. It'd probably be like out of style and just hem to fit them. Um, so, you know, keeping that in mind with Kirsten, I don't know. So I might like let myself have a little bit more fun with some of these other things and try and just reference the decade instead of mm -hmm. doing an exact copy. We'll see. Has there been a dress you've made so far for the Kirsten project that as you're doing research, you think, you know, this really isn't historically accurate or this wouldn't have happened this way? I have a little problem with the Kirsten Saves the Day dress. Mm. Um, one, because it's hard to find stripe. Actually, here's why I have a problem with it. Um, in my research, I got pointed towards Carl Larson, who is a popular Swedish painter. And um, I actually spoke with the illustrator of the Kirsten books, Renee mm. Grace. And um, she said, yes, we used this um, artist as an inspiration at Pleasant Company in the early days. And so I started researching his work. He actually had a daughter named Kirsty Larson. Um, so that, um, and then he had other daughters named Britta and Lisbeth. Mm. Yeah, there it is. Interesting. So interesting. That, there's things that um, came from him. And there's also, it's. I don't think it's a picture, a painting of one of his daughters, but there's a young girl with a straw hat and a blue striped dress. And um, he was doing this work in the early part of the 20th century. So that's a time period when like light blue and white striped dresses were super popular, like the seaside look. Mm -hmm. um, so it was more of a, I think it's more of like a Samantha era, um, 
a Samantha era type dress. So doing her save the day dress with like, like grown women didn't wear short sleeves during the day for the most part um, to protect their arms from the sun and from their labor. Um, so I'm not sure I might do that dress exactly like the pleasant company and just say like, I know this isn't historically accurate, but I want to do the costume. Um, so that's one thing. And then I might like change up the, um, the school dress to look more like uh, Miss Winston's dress um, in terms of silhouette and do the go to Allison would love tile, that. <laughs> the different sleeves. Um, but we'll see. We'll see when we get to those individual projects because each of these um, take a lot of time and a lot of money. So mm-hmm. it's a slow process. And, um, you know, on my first dress, I crowdsourced and asked people to chip in like coffee mm-hmm. money. And enough people did it that I was able to make my fabric and and buy all the components and then same for the changes dress. So I'm super grateful because if costuming is, it's not a cheap hobby. So it certainly helps to have um, people who kind of want to live vicariously through the project. I mean, more an observation, I think, than a question, but someone I was recently messaging with who was listening to the podcast was talking about how they found some kind of sectors of reenacting so daunting because they felt like they didn't know where to start and they felt like they weren't getting things just right. And they were kind of responding to how on the show, you know, it felt like they could step into like our big tent and, and just be part of it. Right. And I think it can be really hard with these things because you are so attentive to detail But what I think is so cool about your project and even the way you're explaining it to us, you're not saying this is wrong because you're saying, here's where this came from, right? Like in the same way that race, politics, and felicity come from a place of the 1990s in the way that the politics about money kind of filter through Kirsten in certain ways, it comes from a thing of the 1980s. I think it's so cool that you're really looking at the making of the book and saying, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what Kirsten would have worn. Maybe we don't know, but here's where this comes from. And I think your transparency is probably what people really respond to with you because it helps people understand, right? I think there's a lot of gatekeeping around certain facets of material culture, like, well, you're right or you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is so intimidating for folks. Mm-hmm. I I agree. And I think it adds such a um, a nice like cultural layer when you look at a project like um, like the changes outfit like this sweater which were super popular in the 80s mm-hmm. and Kirsten was made in the 80s the boots she wears in the book were sold in the 80s um, so like you see parts of the culture of that time sort of influence the imagination of the artists and designers and whatever who created this character because after all like this is just a character And what I like to also remind myself with historical costumes is like, this is pretend. So (laughs) if you want to be like that serious about it, like this is not really a war. Like like, we're all just playing dress up. And um, it certainly makes, I consider myself a newcomer because I've only been doing it for a year and a half, but it makes me feel so much more comfortable when um, there's open arms, like just try. Um, And once you get more into the hobby, of course, you're going to realize you can update your costumes in a way that makes them more accurate if you want. I mean, there's people who go to like uh, Fête de Galant in Paris or Versailles, or they go to a carnival at Venice um, in these 
late 18th century gowns. Um, and some people are on point historically accurate. And then some people just use it as a vehicle for their art mm. um, and both have a place. Um, and I think there's places, I mean, sometimes if you're in living history, you do it exactly by the book. And sometimes you're just doing a weekend costume event and you make adjustments. Um, and I think that's good because it's, it's kind of a dying hobby. I mean, it's, you know, these events, I think they get smaller and smaller. Um, and if they're harder and harder to be perfect in, then people are just not going to go. So, um, it's, it's been really fun for me to try and take every little bit of the costume and try and wonder like, why was this choice made? Hmm. Um, can I find an example from a painting or from the really surprising things are when you, you look at her apron and you think it's a red and white stripe apron, who cares? And then you find that every woman in this region of Sweden had red and white stripe aprons mm -hmm. with variety or like her pocket or her little, um, her spoon pocket or whatever it might be. Uh, when you start to find the actual examples of those, um, that's really exciting too, because then you can uh, just imagine, I mean, Renee was super helpful and she wouldn't tell me exactly um, if I was right or wrong, but she would kind of nudge me and say, you're on the right track, uh, which was a really, it was really fun because, you know, when you look at that book and you're like, Janet Shaw, where is she? <laughs> and then when I reached out to Renee, she was super friendly and she was like, let's talk Kirsten. So it made that. the project even more, um, I don't know, I'm, even more rich. I'm really struck by what you're saying and you and Allison have been saying about gatekeeping and then you mentioning that you think this is a dying hobby. Um, you know, when you think about the fact that you just saw Little Women, which full disclosure, <laughs> we have not seen it yet. We're actively upset about that. We're working on it. Okay. But, you know, I'm imagining the costuming choices in, in that film and reading, reading interviews with um, the director, director Greta Gerwig and others involved, you know, the intentionality that they had in creating that world drawn from paintings, just as you are drawing your inspiration from artwork and research. Why do you think it is that this is a dying hobby when in many ways the intentionality and choices you're doing are um, still very much present in produ producing these historical films that are quite lauded for the same level of intentionality. Mm. Why do you think sort of so-called amateur or non-professional, you know, practices are, are dwindling or don't get the same respect? Um, well, in one regard, you think of a lot of the reenacting community revolves around war and mm -hmm. soldiers and the um, the opportunities for civilian interpreters or reenactors, there's there's less of it, maybe because of organization. And again, I'm new, so um, I'm just getting to learn the opportunities that are available. But it does seem that most events where I live center around some sort of military reenactment. Um, and like, you know, political climates make those events sometimes more um, charged and sometimes they just don't happen because the organizers want to avoid conflict. Um, but I, in one of your recent episodes, you were talking about um, the value of women's work and how it's often overlooked like with quilts or with sewing. And as someone who sews, I could probably sew professionally, but because it's such an undervalued trade, whereas mm -hmm. like carpentry, you know, you make someone a beautiful table. A, a lot of people see the value, the, the, 
dollar amount in that, it's so much easier to put a high price tag on that versus like, you know, someone says like, well, how much, uh, how much would you sell your dress for? I'm like, you can, if you can throw out a number, maybe, but like the, <laughs> you know, the hours of work that went into it and, and usually it's a number like $50, which I'm no. just like, yeah, no. And, and a lot of people think that that's complimentary. And most of the time when like, you know, I made the mittens and people are like, you guys should sell those on Etsy. And I'm like, you know, thank you so much for the compliment, but the time it takes to knit a mitten, um, I cannot compete with Target. So, <laughs> um, anyways, you know, sewing is something that takes a lot time to learn and to do it well and to do it at a level where it looks like it could have existed in the 19th or 18th or whatever century. Um, does take skill and talent and time, um, but there's there's also places to. Um, if you're creative, you can pull together a costume with ready-made things. I mean, I, I would make me sad to think that people wouldn't go to an event because they couldn't sew or they didn't know someone who could sew and they were afraid that their costume might not be right. Um, the first time I went to that festival in Louisville, I didn't wear a Regency dress um, and I was still, I, I can't, I'm not sure I can think of the right word, but it was so wonderful and so beautiful. And it was just, it was transporting. Um, and I knew I wanted to not just like come back and visit. I wanted to fully immerse myself and like really get into it. Um, so there are things like that, that happen. They do a ball in the winter. They do a ball during the festival. Now, when uh, you go to those Jane Austen events, are you going, imagining yourself as a particular character in a Jane Austen novel, or you just want to be part of that era? I just like to be part of the era. And it's funny because um, a lot of the people who I ended up spending time with there, I had only met through Instagram, like no face to face. I hardly, I might've known a couple people that I'd met face to face, but it was so cool to instantly like know someone and then to kind of act. I mean, it's not like we're not speaking um, <laughs> in Austin style speak, um, but like, you know, just like lounging around and waving your fans and stuff and like hanging out in the shade or drinking your tea or whatever it might be. And, and there's people who do it all like, all different ways. Um, but I, I just, I really love it. It's such a magical thing when, when you get that many people on board, it just really creates a, an energy that's, that makes it really fun. I think, you know, when talking about that, there's nothing fundamentally superior about hanging out with people at a star Wars or a star Trek convention. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think people who would maybe, you know, not be inclined to support something like that would have no problem with a comic con. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of think what you're saying about the value of different things like carpentry versus sewing, it does come back to the way that a lot of tasks that women have historically done have been taken over by machines. And, and that's true for mm -hmm. men as well. But things that were really thought of as craftsmanship are just so much simpler to produce after the Industrial Revolution it does become hard even as a person. I go to craft shows and I think, can I really afford to appreciate this precious thing? And I, I don't feel proud saying that, but I think it's true. Well, the way you say it is a lot nicer than <laughs> most people would say, oh, I could make that. But they don't. Yeah. And, you, you know? and you couldn't. Yeah. And yeah. you couldn't. But also but, I think there's something to this where you introduce Star Wars into the conversation and I don't want to I get shouldn't into have. I know. I'm sorry. Because 
I've only seen three of the Star Wars movies and it was sort of under duress where I accidentally admitted I'd never seen Star Wars and people in my grad program got very upset and invited me to a party that I thought was a party and instead it was like, we're going to watch three Star Wars movies in this one day. And I fell asleep and then I woke up and there was like, the things that were like teddy bears else. (laughs) They're Ewoks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They were running around. I don't. I mean, it's like I understand why people like it. I get it. But I kind of like it's not a driving passion in my life that I want to return to in the same way that when you said Jane Austen, it was like my ears perked up. I'm a huge Jane Austen person like that just reached me at a young age. Her language has been a language for my own you know, self-making in the same way that Star Wars is for other people. But because Star Wars is often centering and making important the stories of mostly men, male characters even it's, you know, as someone who knows very little about it, when I see people going into Comic-Con and they're like, yeah, obviously I made this costume. I'm a Ewok, whatever it is. I'm kind of like, I don't, I can't follow this, but I can admire the craftsmanship that went into making that costume. But no one has to explain why telling a male-centered story matters. And yet when we tell people that we're doing this show about American girls, People are so dismissive of what we're doing and of, you know, stories like you're mentioning that have women at the center. And so it's just it's kind of sad that it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, that women feel this need to keep defending or taking up space actively, you know, as a kind of political statement like, hey, my life matters. Women's stories matter. And the way we tell women's stories like using fashion, using costuming is important. The fact that we have to keep making that argument is somewhat an argument against how history is purely a story of progress because it doesn't feel always like we're making that much progress. Yeah. Well, oh, so please go ahead. Oh, no, certainly. In the, I mean, I always felt like when I was growing up, um, my, both my mom and dad were super supportive of the like Kirsten world that I wanted to live in. And I wore these dresses to school. Like I dyed fabric with berries in my backyard and made a quilt. Oh I love God. it. I have so much respect for that. I, that was like, that was, I wanted to exist in that world. And so I just did. And now as an adult, I'm like, yes, I get to do it again. Like now I keep chickens. Um, I live out in the country. I'm like, I'm, I'm now able to do all of the things I really wanted to reach for as a kid, but you know, lived in suburbia and couldn't. Um, but you know, I feel like, I grew up always believing I could be or do or have anything that I worked hard enough for. And I feel like maybe in recent years, it's just like, I don't know, it kind of like shattered a little for me. Mm. And now I'm trying to figure out how I can do that again. And I think it shattered for me on multiple fronts, like just how the world exists as a whole and also becoming a new mom. Um, And, you know, I actually just listened to the um, birthday episode today where all these changes are happening with the new baby coming into the world and the, the massive amount of change that happens when you have a baby and how it, you completely lose yourself um, is so um, devastating. And then you become yourself again. I mean, it's just a, such a, it's such a phase of life that people only say you should like, just be so happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, new baby, it's the best thing ever. You're so lucky, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I really struggled with like truly losing my body, my autonomy, like my time, everything. And then as my children get older and more independent, now I get to come back to the things I love. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's kind of a, <laughs> that's kind of a tangent there, but, um, you know, just being a woman and I, I'm just so hyper aware of all the, the things that, um, I always stop myself when I'm like, if I were a man, I wouldn't have to say this. <laughs> uh, but it's true. Like if you want to exist in the construction world or the like home building world, or there's a lot of worlds where you, you have to temper your speech and your demeanor and all these things that sure things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) What's like a, what's like a turnoff about Kirsten's world for you? Like when you're reading her books, there's a lot that you connect with and that you want to jump into. Like, what are some of the things that pop out that you feel like, Oh, but that's not for me. And it doesn't have to be the time period, more just like her world specifically. There really, for me, there's so much I love about it. Um, and I think it's great for me to hear you guys bring up some of your beef with her storyline. I mean, I don't know. I, I've been rereading the books to my children and sometimes I do think she's like a little bratty, Uh, (laughs) um, like, especially when she's pestering her parents because, you know, any parent has children who pester them. I think I, I imagine. Um, so that's one thing where I'm like, can you please set a better example? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Kirsten really has a hard blip. She has a hard couple of years. And Mm -hmm. if any of those things happen, she, you know, she loses her friends. They're taken away because they move away or because they die. She, it's, she encounters death in multiple places. She's in a new, completely new land I just imagine like what my life would be like if those things happened to me. And as a 10 year old, I think like, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, someone dies in the first book. This is terrible. But like children do lose people. And Mm -hmm. to have an example of how heartbreaking that is and how, you know, different ways the adults comfort her in her life. um, I think that's heartwarming. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I'm, I am such a Kirsten. I even like <laughs> wrote down reasons why I'm a Kirsten. Let's hear them. Um, Let's hear it. Also, well, like you nudged your parents in a Kirsten fashion to get Kirsten. You're right. I did. Uh, but I also worked to get her. Yes. I mean, I no, absolutely. Get her like a Samantha would just get Samantha. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You, you can say that. I think you can say that and it's brave, but just know that we're going to hear from some Samanthas probably about that. Well, my sister, my sister um, has a Samantha doll, um, but I don't think she had to pay for half of her like I did. <gasps> That's so like classic, <laughs> is isn't it? not okay. This is a classic example. Wait, is your sister an older child or younger? Younger. Yep. That is kind of, as a youngest, Ooh. that's kind of yep, the way. Yep, that's how that goes. Yep. Um, but let's see. I want to look up the reasons why. I, I just say multiple times, I'm a Kirsten. I'm a Kirsten. Um, well, my family um, made me do, we had to do everything. Like if we could build it or sew it or paint it or cook it, we did. Like I hardly ever went out to eat. And it's not because... Uh, we're not like a fundamental family. Like we're not, we're just like regular Midwesterners, but my parents, um, were especially my dad's side, like not so far removed from new immigrants to this country who like spoke German until the war. Like that was, that was our family life. And I think you talked about that in one episode, like their schools, they definitely were speaking German at home Mm -hmm. and in school until it was 
socially unacceptable in that time period. Um, I told you guys this earlier, but I'll repeat it that my dad's a beekeeper and I'm really into bees. Um, so that makes me a Kirsten, of course. I sewed my own American flag. I think Ooh. that's a good example wow. of Kirstenism. <laughs> um, because I was so distraught a couple years ago, feeling like I've always really liked politics and then I really hated it. And I was like, no, this is my country and I love it. So I'm going to make an American flag. So I sewed it. And that made me feel good about myself. I was also really on a Hamilton kick at that I point. So I was like, just like jamming and sewing. Into it. <laughs> um, I want to tell you, like, some of the things I've learned in this project that I think are great is that there's always a rabbit hole that you can go down in anything. And I have just absolutely loved really deep diving into the, like, minuscule, like, the print of the fabric or the print of the fabric that goes in the facing of the hem, like mm. just these minuscule details. Um, because there's always someone who will like to go down the rabbit hole with you or learn about your journey there. Um, and I think that has been the most rewarding part about this is that um, when you click all these boxes together, all these little things that you enjoy, research or creation or wearing the costume or sharing it with other people, um, that last part sharing and how people have reacted has been really positive and that's really fun because the internet doesn't have to always be a nice place. Um, but this project has been, and it's, it's kind of blown my socks off by how many people have been supportive of it. So it's a, it's a full circle. Um, I, I mean, I still want to keep going around a few times with the other projects, but it's been really, really great to work on it. So, um, speaking of full circle, I'm wondering, you said earlier that you feel most yourself when you're wearing costumes and that, you know, pregnancy was difficult because you kind of lost yourself. I mean, I'm wondering if you could might reflect on why you're doing the Kirsten project now. Like, why did this come up for you now? And does this have anything to do with kind of like reclaiming your sense of self? I do think it does. Um, one, because I have like the means and the experience and the resources uh, to really go into this project. You know, I dressed up as Kirsten for Halloween when I was 10, but you know, like nothing about it was historical. I mean, it was a dress with sleeves and a skirt. Um, you know, so I, I did it once, but I don't feel like I really did it. Um, and now I really feel so both myself wearing a costume, but in the process of making anything, mm. whether it's knitting or sewing, I really get so into my groove. It's like meditation. Um, and spending that time with me, like with me and my thoughts, mm. which you don't really get to do when you have small children who are really attached to your body um, for so long. Um you know, and then when you're pregnant, you're, you don't fit into any of your clothes. You don't, you're like, who am I? Am I a cool mom? Am I a, you're like, do I just, do I even care? Like, does it matter? <laughs> like, in, and I have been interested in material culture and like, uh, in 2011, I wrote a book about mm -hmm. personal style and giving other people advice on how to best find your personal style. And then you're pregnant or you've just had a new baby and you have no sense of style. I mean, for me, I felt like, who am I to talk about any of this? Because I don't really know who I am. Um, I mean, my greatest blessing is my, are my children. And I'm, I, and going through all of these things from my own childhood and trying to introduce it to them has been 
super fun. Even my son, um, because I don't think these stories are just for little girls. Mm -hmm. I think the lessons are great for boys and girls. Um, but just like remembering that sense of play and like being in the world of American girl was like, when I felt like when I was a child, I was just like, this is like, this is my thing. I love this. I love the history. I love all of these things surrounding it. And now looking back at it, like, even when I look at my little doll, I just, I really get the warm fuzzies. I really, it makes me really happy. So, um, I don't know if that answers the it question. It does, of course. Well. Yeah. So if we were running a university, which we're not, but not like yet. if Mary and I not were yet. for some reason, there's a new thing a lot of people do with history classes called an un-essay, which is your final is anything but an essay. So it can be a website, a project, anything you put together that isn't text-based. When I was reading your blog and kind of like going back between your blog and your pictures, it's like if we could take your wardrobe, I feel like your wardrobe is a dissertation because every single piece is like a chapter of a book because every single deep dive is so deep. Mm -hmm. Like I literally never thought about why wow. her hair is that way. And then I read your like 500 words on why it is and where it comes from. And I feel like we don't value clothes the way we value an essay. Mm -hmm. But if we did, it really is the same level, right? Yeah. Because we've talked about that with host Afina, with weaving, with all these different things. Like if we really valued those things on par, yeah. And we don't run a higher education institution, Not yet. but <laughs> I mean, what I've learned is that we're living in a scammers age of That's so true. universities. So it's not unheard of that we could start our own university. I mean we could do that and we could offer degrees yeah. in things that we actually have no knowledge of like cooking, um, costuming. We would have to be the Dean of costumes. Well, also, no, you would you might be. have just seen Anna walk through the background. <laughs> guest Don't appearance. mind her guest appearance. She just got a haircut. Um, you know, like in that for-profit university, I think our for-profit scam university would be centered around the ideas that we value um, more than one way of knowing. So writing an essay is one way of knowing and of sharing what you know, but it's certainly not the only way. And I think, as Allison says, you know, we've heard from other historians who are actually writing dissertations based on um, clothing as a way of knowing someone. We actually, I'm not going to remember her name right now, but the- Cynthia Chin. Cynthia Chin. Hello, Cynthia Chin, if you're out there writing a dissertation on Martha Washington based solely on the three dresses that we have of hers that are left. Like that's fascinating to me as a way of knowing someone, but I think your work is really in conversation with hers. Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. I mean, I've even, I've like, you know, I only have an undergraduate degree, um, but I am so like, you know, Ruth Goodman, you know who I'm talking about. She's not, she doesn't have a master's degree mm -hmm. and she's a historian. And I mean, I know there's so much work that goes into those higher level degrees, but the, I mean, even if it's purely for pleasure, I love the study of it. And mm -hmm. it's, well, let me stop you right there when you say oh, I only have an undergraduate degree. I'm not going to let you talk down about yourself <laughs> okay. as someone who has a college degree. I don't care if you have a high school degree, not even a high school degree. That's one way of certifying a kind of knowing, and it's not the only way. So you are right. a I mean, very smart person. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And you, like just what you've been saying, there are multiple ways to show your knowledge of a certain subject, and 
yeah, of course it's not always written. And the more we value, I don't know, there's just, there are a lot of things to look at and to, um, to unfold. Uh, so I think clothing too is such an interesting example because it's a way of knowing the past, but it's also kind of a way like in producing it of like working out stuff in the present. Like Mm -hmm. I don't sew, but I make books as like a hobby. And I know Mm -hmm. when I sit and make a book, it's something where it's like, I have to focus on literally what's in front of me and I can't think about anything else. And I find it is such a helpful thing in terms of dealing with you know, stresses in other parts of life. I wonder if it's the Mm -hmm. same for you, but I read this book recently called Mending by Making, I think it's what it's called, but it does talk about sewing and bookmaking and other crafts that are hand, you know, handmade Mm -hmm. as a way of like exploring things in the past or things that you're replicating different artistic traditions, but also just as like a self-care practice as well. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Like I said, it, when I'm in the flow of especially knitting, because you can just like really get to this place where you're sometimes you're like, are these my hands doing this thing? (laughs) It's like a really, it's like a Zen sort of feeling. And I love that. And I wonder how women in the past, like when they sat down to sew with their friends or with their daughter, what, whoever it might've been, what kinds of things were they talking about? What were they, what was the dress going to be made for? How were they? I mean, so many clothes, like clothing used to be akin to like a car, like mm-hmm. textiles used to have so much more value. And so the special ways they would take care of things or make them to last forever or, you know, through generations. I hope my, I hope the clothes I make last that long. Um, I mean, this Kirsten cl- costume is like going to hang in a closet, so I'm sure it'll be just fine. But, you know, the things that get more everyday use, I hope those things last um, and the things that have lasted that we are able to examine. Uh, yeah. I just think about like even vintage clothes. What was this lady? Mm-hmm. Like, why did she buy this? Why was she wearing it to this place? Or if they're handmade, like, how did she feel about picking up this fabric? I don't know. Stuff like that. I think about that kind of thing a lot, which makes sense on why I would do a project like this. Mm-hmm. Once you said that the sweater that you are wearing, which is the changes for Kirsten sweater is both of the 19th century and 1980s mom going to the mall, you cannot unsee it. It's so true. Like that it is so of the 1980s and of the 19th century. But it's also, (laughs) honestly, I think of all the pictures that you post, I think that's the one that you would find at an anthropology today. No problem. No questions asked. Right. And that's one of the reasons I picked it as my second project instead of just going in book order, because I knew I would actually wear like, you know, I pull my little mittens <gasps> out, but I do wear them all the time. Um, they're and gorgeous. You, thank you. They're And they're really fun to make. I even made a red and white version. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's all it all can be very modern. And like I wore the black skirt with like a black turtleneck and, you know, tights and boots and I thought I looked cool, but I also looked old timey Um, and I don't quite have the courage to wear my, I I mean, I feel great in my costumes, but um, I don't know if I'd have the courage to, I was going to see little women wearing my Kirsten dress. And then I thought, I don't know, maybe I still will, but I do have to really highly recommend the movie. Um, Because the other thing I, I was thinking of is that the 1994 version came out and that was like my girlhood Kirsten era. And I have such a strong connection with that film too and the music of it. And I still play at my house when I'm like 
making a fire and baking bread. And um, it sort of like makes that world feel complete. And mm. I think also what's cool is that as an adult, um, like depending on like your upbringing and your, you, your peer groups and whatnot, you might not believe that you can be a grown up that wears pioneer dresses and bakes bread and listens to us. I mean, you might think, well, that's not something I can do uh, without feeling ashamed. Um, but now I've like learned better. Hmm. And now I know I can do all those things and not feel um, silly because I know other people also enjoy it. And it's not just because other people enjoy it, but you know, praise is something that I value. So um, when I get some acknowledgement or praise on a project that I personally love, it just, it really rounds it all out. Um, and, you know, I really do like the internet because I feel <laughs> like it, you can find your like own kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, Very true. I met my husband online. Really? He followed, he followed me on Twitter. Really? <laughs> so did he and, slip into your DMs or something? Uh, he just followed me and I thought his name was cool. So I looked him up. And he lived down the street from me in New York City. What? Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So then who made the first move? You were like, hey, I like your name. I, uh, well, I, I went to his blog and it said that he liked Charles Dickens and bourbon. And he was from Indiana. And I was like, mm. and I thought it was cute. So <laughs> um, so I was like, hey, let's, um, hey, Hoosier, let's have lunch Whoa. or something. And then, and then we had a very quick courtship and got married and moved home so whoa the nice classic, hey who's your routine yeah nice, nice. Uh, so he's your lori whoa no I'm, he's more like your professor bear though right because you guys met in new york no because he's hot like it ends well so i'm just assuming based on <laughs> you're saying professor bear can't be hot not to me no i don't think he is <sighs> yeah i will say i think like the Oh, I don't want to give it away, but I feel like the new Lori and and everyone he interacts with is just so good. And it's also good because now you're seeing little women as women who are younger than you. Mm. Whereas when I saw it the first time, they were uh, I was going to aspire to be like, sure. you know, a Joe or probably I always saw myself as a Joe. But after this latest version, I was like, wow, Amy is so like I see like more complexity in her now anyway um super good i saw it twice in three days Whoa. i love that are you do you still identify do you identify as a joe or as an amy or i mean there's yeah i have always felt like in some ways so tomboyish and so like if i was a man i could do anything and everything and sort of like the unfairness of that uh, but then i also still i like you know amy is like she does care about vanity and art and like femininity and things. So I like, I see parts of myself hmm. in both of those characters. Um, I I feel like you're a Kirsten's son, but you're an Amy moon. That's like, right. I don't feel like Amy is like your predominant personality. No, I don't think so either. I think that you're a May Alcott moon. I'm wow. going to counter that and say that you're a Joe Sun and a May Alcott moon. And I'll explain mm -hmm. what that means to me. So May Alcott is the artistic sister on which Amy is based. Louisa May Alcott's uh -huh. sister. She trained the sculptor who made the Lincoln Memorial. Henry Chester French. Yep. And But this is important. 
she did not steal Louise May Alcott's childhood boyfriend, even though Louise May Alcott had so no true. earthly interest in that person, if he even existed, because Louise May Alcott had like probably other things going on. I'm not trying to be controversial on this show, but just saying like, I oh, think- I agree. And yeah, I yeah. agree. So like, I don't think that was ever on the menu for her. But so there was no betrayal, but I think like you have the artistic and creative spirit, but not the sense for vanity and casual betrayal, even if you learn about it later in life. Yeah, Uh, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I mean, you haven't asked for this reading and we've just sort of given it to you unsolicited, but. No, it's okay. I wish I knew more um, about my sign. And I mean, I'm a, I'm the last day of Sagittarius. Whoa. Really fiery. Okay. I respect that. that. It's, it's a cool, it's, and here's the thing I was born on. Oh, I probably shouldn't say it doesn't matter. I've, I've talked about this before, but I turned 30 on the day the Mayan calendar was supposed to end, which I always thought was wow. like a really I love that. Like, end of the world. Ha ha kind of joke. Um, I, and I, and that's another reason I really liked um, the, uh, the holiday story for Kirsten mm-hmm. uh, because you know, the solstice changed it used to be on the 13th and then it jumped up and now it's my, it's my day. So I was like, I'm into this. Wow. Wow. Jessica, if I may, like it's been alleged that I think I'm a Beth, but I'm actually a Marmy. And I just wonder <laughs> if you could weigh in on that. No, wow. no, I would. I mean, Beth is so quiet and True. I don't think you're so quiet. I mean, you seem really gentle. Um, well, I don't and know like- if that's the case, but you know, it's nice of you that you bring I feel like Marmy has like these little like these little nuggets of wisdom. Mm. And I feel like you're always popping in with something like a little <sighs> bit of this. This is this is hard for me to hear, oh. but you're probably the hundredth person to say you're not a Beth. So I need to hear it at some point. I don't point. think it's really that you want to hear that you're a Marmy. You just want to hear that you're a Beth. I yeah, do want to hear. Is, Laura Dern is not. I mean, Marmy's, I feel like Marmy's like in this version, she's like beautiful and kind. And also she's just like dropping truth. True. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you think I'm a Joe? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. You're not a Meg and you're not an Amy. And I'm and Beth. So. <laughs> it's hard, but I don't know. Whoever says they're a Meg? I feel like Meg and Beth have similarities and Meg and Amy have similarities. Because uh, I feel like Meg is equally like, like Meg and Amy want to get married. Mm-hmm. And and Amy's like frivolous because she's like, I want to get married, you know? And <laughs> But Meg is like, I'm mature and I'm going to wait and I, I want to be a mother, you know? <laughs> My deepest fear is that I'm actually an Aunt March slash Winona Ryder, <laughs> but that might actually be aspirational. That's not a fear. It's not a fear. I embrace that. Now, speaking um, of like important women in American culture, you have a connection to a famous Bachelor contestant. Oh yes, um, Bachelorette. Um, so about ten years ago, it'll be ten years um, this fall. Um, there was a season with Allie where her and her men went to Iceland, and after the show had um, played, they said, "Now, do you want to fall in love in Iceland like Allie? Enter this contest." And I did. And I won. (laughs) I love it. And so my husband and I would have had like a state park two day honeymoon in Indiana. But instead, we got to go to Iceland. And we got to go to all the places that she had gone. So 
we went to um, the Blue Lagoon and we went horseback riding. They have special little horses there that they cannot, they can, they can be like exported these horses, but no other kinds of horses can come into Iceland Mm -hmm. and same with their sheep. I'm pretty sure. Um, And now for our 10 year anniversary, we're going to go to Norway because I have talked my husband into with all my Scandinavian love. I love it. Um, It's amazing. He's like, okay, I'm down. So I, and he's like, do you want to go to the place where they make the mittens? Do you want to, you know, like these different regions? So, um, well, that'll be fun. And I don't know. I, I'm hoping I come back with some architecture ideas or like soak up some more um, Scandinavian things I can pull into my life. Because I've actually I found out I'm part Norwegian, which was kind of cool after I started doing more digging into um, my ancestry, um, which made it, it's a very small little piece, but it made me feel like even more connected to the project. So Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. Thank wow. you. I mean, you're going on this trip for the right reasons. So all the right important. reasons, all the right reasons. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. And I, finally, last question um, of equal weight as a bachelorette question. I know on your site, you've had outfit of the day. You have your gallery up and are you at all bitter about Stasi Stroder of Vanderpump Rules being responsible for making that a national day when it seems like you've predated her? Oh, wow. I didn't know she did that. I mean, my blog was called What I Wore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I feel like, and I started doing that in 2007. You're, you're way ahead of her in but, your interest. You know, uh, to be, I mean, I guess it shows you how much I care about her. Is that I didn't know who she was until you told me <laughs> right now. So it's probably for the um, best. Eh. Um, you know, I think there are like good and bad things about all the internet, and I think that the bubble of just showing um, how much I can get is is soon to pop. I mm-hmm. hope. I mean, I think a lot of people are like. Uh, I don't know. And when I started and I did work as sort of a, I hate the word influencer because I don't think you should call yourself one. Um, And now it's like influencers everywhere. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I do like documenting things. I like using it for my own purposes. And I think a lot of other people can benefit from sharing information. And if it's what you wore and where, you know, here's a work outfit, here's what I wore to meet my future in-laws, whatever it might be, it can be helpful and valuable. I feel like, uh, well, I quit my blog. I quit my what I wore blog. So I think that sort of tells you how I feel about it now. <laughs> um, but I am having a lot of fun um, not doing it every day for a living, doing it at my pace and doing subjects that may or may not get a lot of page views, but now it's, now it's really about, (laughs) I feel like so cliche saying it, but it's really about the art that I want to make the projects I want to do. And it's so much more fun. I feel like there's something about becoming older that it, how do I say this? I don't know. You, You can cut this part out. It just, you stop caring about the stupid stuff. And now you really, the younger you can be when you start really just focusing on what you love and tossing aside the opinions that probably don't need to have any weight in your life, the better off you are. Mm. And um, I let a lot of opinions matter a lot to me for a really long time. 
And I don't know if that's because I posted pictures of myself and asked for commentary. Um, I mean, of course, you're going to get you're going to get it. So you may or may not like it. And when I decided to make that not be a part of my life, my life improved. Yeah. Uh, but now I am getting a lot of um, through the Kirsten Project, um, a lot of people who either love American Girl now, they're collectors, adult collectors, they loved it as a kid, or they just really like history or historical costume or dress. Um, so it's fun to find these like very niche hobbies and people who also enjoy them. And that's been really wonderful. <laughs> and that's, yeah, it's a good part of this whole thing. I think that's amazing. I think that's really an instructive piece for people who may be listening. Um, on the one hand, I think there's something magical that happens around when you turn 30. That's like you kind of stop caring about what other people think, or at least that's what mm -hmm. happened to me. Um, it's a different age, I'm sure, for different people. But I really was kind of like, yeah, I really don't care anymore what anybody thinks about you know this or that that I want to do. But also finding an interest that makes you feel like yourself. And even and especially if it is apart from the thing you do to make money, mm -hmm. um, if you can have something that gives you joy. Like I've been, you know, I know this is an audio medium, but for listeners at home, mm -hmm. watching your face as you talk about this project, like you have <laughs> such unbridled joy. And yeah, it's so contagious <laughs> that I really hope our listeners, you know, if you have something in your life that you can pursue mm -hmm. this kind of way, like that's what I would wish for everybody listening. Me too. And all and even more exciting to find other people who like share that joy, um, who appreciate it. Uh, it's a really rewarding. Yeah, you say it's it's all written on my face, but this is really how I feel about it. I really do love it so much. And I do also hope that other people can find the kind of thing they can geek out on like this and not feel anything but joy. Excellent. Well, I, I feel like we've, mm. you know, we've covered a lot of territory this episode and we're so grateful for the time that you've carved out for us to share your story and your joy. And we just wish you all the best going forward with this project. We'll definitely be following you as you continue in this Kirsten path. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear all about all the other little American girls. And if people want to follow you, what would be the best place to do that online? Um, if you'd like to just follow the Kirsten Project on Instagram, it's at the Kirsten Project. Um, and then I post the pictures and the detailed research on my blog, which is called starsandfield.com. Um, and that's linked in my Instagram. And I keep it to a minimum with social media. So those are the places you should look for me. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that'll do it for this episode. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at American Girls Podcast, on Twitter at A Girls Pod, and you can email us at any time at American Girls Pod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to reach out. You can follow Allison at Allison Horrocks on both Instagram and Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123 and on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. And in some really exciting news, we now have a Patreon that will let you listen to an extra episode each month. Month. If you go to patreon.com slash American Girls Podcast, you can pay $3 a month and hear an extra episode which will follow us as we read books, watch movies, watch TV shows, talk about experiences that are relevant either to American Girl 
or the pop culture things that have interested us. We've been hearing from folks who have asked us if we'd ever read Dear America books and Rinaldi books, talk about the 1994 Little Women movie, The Bachelor, whatever it is. So this is our space where we're going to be getting into those kinds of things. So if that's of interest to you, then head over to Patreon and sign up today. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, as always, and we'll see you on the next episode.